Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Vegas 19, Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis. And Shaq, it's going down tomorrow night, Saturday in Vegas. Two heavyweights in the main event. You got the man with the most takedowns in UFC heavyweight history. And Curtis Blades taking on the man with the most knockouts in UFC heavyweight history in Derek Lewis. We know exactly what both guys want to do. Uh, hell of a main event uh, between two top five guys this Saturday night, Shaq. Yeah, I'm really excited. Curtis Blades, I've been on the record to say that outside of Nganu and Stipe, he's got to be the best heavyweight out there. He wins all of his fights other than Francis Nganu and and in, for the most part in fashion. And Curtis uh, and Derek Lewis, on the other hand, is responsible for some of the greatest comebacks in the heavyweight division's history. I know you remember that knockout against Alexander Volkov in which he was losing the entire fight or the Tybura fight or the Shamil fight. He always comes back and, and pulls off these spectacular KOs. So I'm excited. I mean, at this point, uh, I think people need to put some respect on Derek Lewis' name. I mean, this is a guy who's got 15 wins inside the inside the octagon, and like I mentioned, 11 knockouts, which is the record. I mean, that's more than Nganu. It's more than JDS, more than Kane, more than Arlovsky, more than Stipe. So uh, this guy is truly uh, a record breaker, and this Saturday night is going to look to add to that total. But you know for a fact, a guy like Curtis Blades, who averages nearly seven takedowns per fight, uh, you know exactly what he's going to try to do. He doesn't give a shit if it's exciting or not. All he cares about is winning. And if I mean, if you're betting on a guy like Curtis Blades or if you're putting him in your DraftKings lineups, at least you know that, hey, he's not going to take any unnecessary risks. He's going to go out there and fight to his strengths, Shaq. 100%. And we can't forget Derek Lewis has a win over Francis Ngannou. So I know it was one of the, one, one, uh, one of the worst fights in UFC history, but he does have a win over him. But, yeah, like you said, Blades, we know what he's looking to do. No secret. I respect it. Take the easy path, and, and that's what he does in most of his fights, and that's why he is where he is. Yes, sir. Well, Shaq, before we break down this whole car start to finish, just got to talk about our sponsor, Manscaped, the official electric trimmer of half the battle and the UFC, Manscaped. Not only are they the presenting sponsor of this podcast, Half the Battle, but they also sponsor multiple UFC, UFC stars, including Max Holloway, Francis Ngannou, like we just mentioned, and Sugar Sean O'Malley, who's got a fight coming up. Manscaped is here to ensure your favorite fighter doesn't miss weight because of their pubes. And uh, Shaq, I mean, what a shitty way to miss weight would that be? Just because you're not well kept. And not only that, how shitty of a way would it be to lose a short notice opportunity because you're not ready to go like Kevin Holland? Manscaped is changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. And, and this Perfect Package 3.0 includes the Lawnmower. 3.0 trimmer, which uh, the ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks to your tugs and your fellows down below. And for all our international listeners out there, they are change their life changing products are now available across UK, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and the EU. It's time to hop on the Manscaped movement. Inside the Perfect Package 3.0, you'll also get the Crop Preserver deodorant for below the belt it's anti-chafing and moisturizing you'll also find the crop reviver toner which is an aloe vera infused cologne for uh below the belt and for a limited time subscribers get not one but two free gifts the shed travel bag a 39 dollars value and the patented high performance anti-chafing manscape boxer briefs get 20 percent off 
and free shipping with the code BATTLE20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code BATTLE20 at manscaped.com. Uh, your balls are going to thank you, Shaq. 100%. And the guys you just mentioned, Max Holloway, Kevin Holland, just look. Manscaped is behind these type of guys. Just look what Max Holloway did his last fight, setting a significant strike record. Kevin Holland's out here knocking guys out from bottom. So, I mean, enough said. Next up, I got to hook up my boy uh, Bilal Muhammad with this Manscaped uh, sponsorship. You see the kind of numbers he put up against Diego Lima. Now he's got this big opportunity against Leon. Uh, Could you imagine if he goes from number 15 to number three in the world all in the span of a month? Yeah, you know, that would be... uh... That would be quite the, you know, uh, jump up in competition. But a lot of guys have been doing it lately. Marvin Vittori was unranked, and then now he's in the top five. Kevin Holland was unranked. Now he's in the top ten. I mean, guys are making big rises fairly quick these days in the UFC. Leon Edwards, they say he deserves a title shot. I want to see. Uh, this can't – if Bilal Muhammad, if he wants a, a, a title shot, he better come out here and make a statement. This can't be a, a, a squeak-out decision. So – I'm excited for that fight. Yeah, no doubt about it. Interesting little tidbit. Look, and I got all the respect in the world for Leon Edwards. Did you know that Nate Diaz has fought twice since the last time that Leon Edwards has fought? I uh, I was very surprised to hear uh, that fact, stat, uh, that fact, chat. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that is the case. He's been injured. He had COVID. The Woodley fight fell through. So that he does have some excuses, but we'll see. Uh, We'll see how he looks in this Bilal fight. My boy Daniel Edwards says Manscaped might be put on the USADA list. I mean, you're right. It is performance enhancing. I mean, there's no questions asked. So make sure you all go to Manscaped.com. Use that promo code BATTLE20 for 20% off and free shipping. Now, Shaq, let's get right down to business because first up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Sergey the Polar Bear Spivak. He's from Moldova. He's 11-2, and two, and he's taking on the American Jared Vandera, who is 11-4. and four. Currently, they got Sergey Spivak minus 250. The comeback on Jared Vandera is plus 194. Uh, Shaq, I, I got to give Sergey Spivak so much credit because, I mean, this is a guy who you saw the kind of competition he was fighting on the regional scene. And, I mean, firstly, look at how he handled that competition, whether it's the schoolyard headlock, whether it's the head kick. I mean, if you are not on Sergey Spivak's level, he's going to go out there and show you that you're not on his level. And he gets the call to fight in the UFC, and they put him in there with a killer's row, man. I mean, Walt Harris in your first fight. Look, yeah, Walt Harris lost to Volkov, who's a top three guy, but Walt Harris is a top 15 guy. Then he fights Taitu Ivasa in Australia, Shaq, submits him. Then he fights Marcin Tybura, another top 15 guy. And then he fights, you know, his, the lowest ranked guy he's fought, who's still got a winning record in the UFC, Carlos Felipe, who will be ranked probably in the next year or so. So, man, this kid at only 26 years of age has been fighting a killer's row at heavyweight. And now for the first time in his career, no disrespect to Jared Vandera. I respect anyone that makes that walk. But this is the first softball of Sergey Spivak's UFC run. And we know exactly how he handles these kind of guys. And listen, again, I respect Vandera, his performance on Contender Series. You know, he ate a lot of shots and he came back and won. He's a tough guy. But 
this is that spot where Sergey Spivak is going to have the best performance of his UFC career, whether it's a head kick knockout, whether it's a schoolyard headlock, whether it's him grinding him out for three straight rounds. I got uh, the Moldovan Sergey Spivak to win this fight, Shaq. Those Moldovan heavyweights are doing their thing right now. You, you got Sergey Spivak. You got uh, Alexander Romanov. I, I can't wait for his next fight. So Moldovan... The Moldovan heavyweight market's looking good. But, yeah, I think Spivak's the more skilled guy here. I think Vandera's a big boy, and he's tough. But he, um, uh, in his fight in LFA against the Brazilian, I've seen him get dropped. Um, tough guy, but just seems to take a, a lot of shots, very stiff, very slow. Spivak's got to be careful uh, of the power. It's the heavyweight division. We all know one shot can change everything. But I think Spivak's got a nice jab, and I really like that last performance against Carlos Boy Felipe. Uh, in Abu Dhabi, Carlos Boy Felipe, like your winning record, might be ranked soon here coming up. Um, and Spivak, I mean, he faced adversity in that fight. That, that's, uh, he's faced adversity in pretty much all his fights. Marcin Tabora, well, Marcin Tabora's doing his thing right now. I mean, Marcin Tabora's on a on a three a three four fight win streak. Um, four fight, four fight win streak. Just beat Greg Hardy. Um, beat Ben Rothwell, so there's no shame in losing to that at, at that age of which he lost. And I also hear Spivak is uh, playing Stipe for, for a certain heavyweight. He's playing Stipe for Nganu in Las Vegas with Nick Sick and all them dudes, so I, I think he's at a good camp. I mean, Extreme Pator is looking real nice these days. There's a lot of dudes in there, so I'm going with Sergey Spivak here. I'm sure Vendera will be back, but I just think he's the more skilled guy, the nicer jab. I think he could pop Vendera's head back, get the takedowns, and he's a better grappler to beat Tuivasa, who's a I don't is he top fifteen or at least right outside the top fifteen to to handle them like that under that type of circumstances in Australia was very impressive. So I see Sergey Spivak being a part a part of the heavyweight division for a very long time. You mentioned these guys from Extreme Couture making big improvements, even their weakest link, Mackie Pitola, looked the best he ever looked. His last fight against Julian Marquez, I know he got caught uh, at the very end, but I had never seen Mackie Patola look like that ever before. So whatever Eric Nixick is doing, uh, Coach Nixick, keep doing it. Now, Shaq, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between the returning Eamon Zahabi. He's 7-2, and two, and he's welcoming Draco Rodriguez, who's 7-1, and one, to the UFC. Is it Draco or is it Draco? Draco. Currently, they got Draco Rodriguez, minus 185. The comeback on Amon Zahabi is plus 146. Uh, uh, listen, I'm just going to start off by saying this. You know, all respect to the Zahabi brothers. I mean, I think Faraz is one of the best coaches of all time. And I actually think that, you know, his brother Amon, he's probably a great coach in the gym. He's probably a great training partner. He's really a smart kid. He's probably a, a nice guy. I like him. But when it comes to fighting inside the octagon, I think both those guys will tell you that this is a brutal sport where you have to be fully committed and you got to be all in. And I felt like Eamon was all in back in 2017 when he fought uh, Ricardo Ramos. And just to put that in perspective of how long ago that was, Shaq, that was the same night that James Vick had the best performance of his career against Joe Duffy. That was the same night that... Um, I believe didn't Bisbing fight GSP and Joanna might have uh, might have taken a knockout loss. Uh, so basically, it's been a long ass time since Amon's looked good. And in that fight where he looked good, he was on the wrong end of a devastating, vicious spinning back elbow knockout. 
And I just don't think he's been the same since, man. I mean, he comes back a few years later against Vince Morales, who, again, we respect anyone that steps in there. But, man, I would definitely say Vince Morales is towards the lower end of the total, totem pole of that division. Um, and to, to be kind of gun-shy against a guy like Vince Morales – I don't know, man. That because like to me, it seems like, hey, look, you took this devastating loss against Ramos. Here's your bounce back fight. He didn't treat it as such. So, man, I, I'm I'm very low on Eamon Zahabi in terms of his octagon uh, potential, man. I think that you should go back to coaching with Draco. The time to fade him will come, but this is not the time. I mean, Draco, he's got a professional boxing background. Granted, only two fights against very low-level competition. But he's one of these opportunistic finishers. I mean, you take this guy down, he's going to be searching for subs. The right guy is going to beat him. I just think he's got a little bit more fighting spirit than Eamon Zahabi at this point. So for that reason, I got to go with Draco via something opportunistic. But I'm not, you know, running to the betting window, you know, all convicted because... I don't think that Draco is, you know, the, the second coming of Christ, like a lot of people are trying to say. I just think that, you know, he's a decent, you know, decent new guy in the UFC. Let's see what he can do. I just think he's a little hungrier than Zahabi, so I'll pick him for that reason. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little more confident on this one. I, I see Draco rolling here. Zahabi is not UFC level, in my opinion, even in his one UFC win against uh, Ronaldo Vera. I'm, I mean, that fight was very sloppy. He's very stiff, very flat-footed. He got tagged with shots in that fight. It was just Vieira just quit and really didn't want to fight. Vieira is also not UFC level. So then we turn into the Ramos fight. Ramos is a guy, especially at that time, very loose fighting style and kind of, in my opinion, was clearly the better guy. Just kind of made the fight closer than what it needed to be for two rounds, rolling for leg locks and going for uh, these crazy back takes and things that Ricardo Ramos likes to do at times. So I honestly don't think Sahabi's UFC level. I think Draco in his contender series, that was a pretty flawless performance. I mean, ran through the guy exactly like he should, showed that he's on a on a different level. I heard they were going to match this dude up with Cheeto Vera instead of uh, no Helene Hernandez. So I, I think that he's clearly a level above Eamon Zahabi. And I think, you know, you don't need to be the second coming of Christ to beat Eamon Zahabi. I mean, he just lost to a to a guy that uh, is not UFC level, in my opinion. And, and like you said, I agree with some of the, the coaching things and, and all that good stuff. But um, I just think Draco Rodriguez ha just has too fast of counters. I think he'll put the fear in Zabin, Zabin, Eamon Zahabi. I mean, when you go out stiff like that in Madison Square Garden, I mean, and like I said, I really don't think the guy was that good to begin with. I just think they, not saying that he was bad, but we kind of know, um, you know, things on, on that side, you know, in terms of the local scene. I mean, just look at some of the guys that come into the UFC from there. Um, it's, it's, it might not be the best. So I think uh, I see Draco Rodriguez getting a finish here. So I'm going with Draco. I do got to give Eamon credit just that, you know, even though he's from Canada, he at least didn't fight in that TKO scene. So his his local scene could have been even shittier, Shaq. So at least he wasn't in that TKO scene. But next up in the featherweight division, we got Chaz the Scrapper Skelly. He's 18 and three. And Jamal Emmers is 18 and five. Currently, they got jamal embers minus 230 the comeback on chaskelly is plus 195 so i've said it many times you know obviously chaskelly longtime friend of the show i mean he's broke down a couple fights with us um you know we've had some good interactions behind the scenes always been a fan of chaskelly i'm always rooting for him 
but I'll, I'll be a hundred percent honest with you, man. Um, I, I don't like this matchup for him, you know? And when I was talking to Skelly, cause you know, this not saying this, this is his retirement fight, but I, I know we're getting there. We're getting pretty close. And I was telling him, you know, and not, not that my opinion matters, but I was wanting a Charles Rosa fight. I was wanting a Derek Minner fight for Chas Kelly. I thought that those stylistically presented very winnable matches. Here with Jamal Emmers, it's actually one of these cases where Jamal kind of has him covered across the board minus the submission aspect. So it's really up to Jamal not having kind of, you know, a mental lapse and and screwing this up because the minutes are going to be won by Jamal Embers in this fight. Um, he's just simply a much better athlete, and he's got a long UFC career ahead of him, whereas Skelly, you know, he had the Tommy John surgery. He came back. He beat Jordan Griffin. I felt like that was the perfect fight to go out on. I just as soon as I heard that this ma this fight got matched up, I was kind of worried for my boy Chas Kelly. And obviously, I'm rooting for him. He's a friend of mine, and I wish him the best. But to just be 100% honest and transparent, I'm going to go with Jamal Embers in the spot via decision, Shaq. Jamal Embers is no slouch. He beat Alexander Hernandez back in the day. He's got good wins on his resume. Fought Moises. I remember Corey Sanhagen. Corey Sanhagen. I remember. Uh, uh, Dana White saw his fight with Tiago Moises on LFA on the Looking for a Fight show, and he actually said that he thought Jamal Emmers had a lot of potential down the line, and turns out he's in the UFC now. So props to Jamal Emmers. His last fight against Vince Cachero was kind of one of those letdown spots, late replacement, um, and he just had to do what he uh, had to do to get the win. But I liked his performance against Chikadze, especially in the late rounds. And me. That was I don't want to say arguably a 10-8 round, but it was definitely a one-sided round for Jamal Emmers in the third round. And I thought he did fairly good in the second round. Giga Chikadze developed into to being arguably, in my opinion, a top 15 uh, featherweight. If he's, he's top 20, top 25 at least. Um, so yeah, I like Chas Kelly. His ground game is very tricky, those back takes. And I've always said the same thing about Chas. He starts off very good. But the, the longer the fight progresses, he, he tends to slow down. He usually has a big back take, and if he can't get that submission, his legs are gassed out, and and then he uh, fatigues and starts taking punishment. So that's kind of where I see this fight going. Jamal Emmers, like, he needs to be careful because he's had his his uh, slip-ups in the past. He, he has dropped fights to Juicy J. Arosa and fights that he should have won. Um, so we'll see what happens here. But, yeah, I think Jamal Emmers is just bigger – uh, Jamal Emmers, man, he, he's a big boy for 45s. He's kind of, he's got to be cutting a lot of weight. I think he's going to overpower Chaz here in this spot. Um, but we'll see what happens. Chaz Kelly has a, one of the more tricky ground games, in my opinion, in that division. He, he's got some, some funky little transitions. So Jamal's got to be careful. Yeah, I mean, Chas Kelly is one of these guys. He, if he gets a submission here, I mean, he might be right up there with the most submissions in featherweight history. He's on the cusp of holding that record. I know he wants to go out with it. That's why I wanted the Derek Minner fight for him. And I want to mention also, you talk about how um, Emmer's last fight was a bit of a letdown spot. Man, I thought he looked amazing. I know, granted, the opponent, you're supposed to look amazing against him, but I don't feel like he played it safe. I felt like... We were like, wow, like this guy's got a lot of potential. And then he also gave Giga Chikadze his toughest fight to date. So I think the sky's the limit for this kid. Let's see what he does. And obviously, all respect to Chas Kelly. If he comes out here and gets a submission, nothing will make me happier. But the pure pick has to be Emmers here.
Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Shanna Dobson. She's four and four, and Casey O'Neill is five and zero. Oh. Currently, they got Casey O'Neill minus one forty-five. The comeback on Shanna Dobson is plus one twenty-five. So, I know that we enjoy, uh, you know, fading uh, Dobson from time to time. And now, granted, we did not fade her that last fight. I wasn't laying no minus a thousand on on an unproven fighter in Maria Agapova. I definitely picked her there, though. Uh, that, that being said, look, Dobson's definitely got the UFC experience. Despite her record, she's been in there with a much better competition. Uh, you think she can make it a second straight uh, upset here against the undefeated uh, newcomer? Man, this is an interesting fight. You know, man, this fight kind of reminds me of... Uh, it almost kind of reminds me of Too Good to Be True, because I'll just be quite frank, honest. Yeah, I know Dobson... I mean, definitely not high on her. I think Agapova pulled a stunt and got that $50,000 from the Cyphers fight and probably not, not went off the deep end, but just I know she called out Shayna Dobson, but I think she truly thought she was going to get a finish in, in another, you know, less than a minute <laughs> type of situation. And I think that she really wasn't ready for a tough fight. And and like you said, though, I mean, she lost to the Lauren Mueller loss isn't a good look, that's for sure. Um, but the other losses were to Mazo, who I'm pretty high on, and Cachoeira, who's a, a big banger in that division. So um, mm, she has seen the higher. And to be honest, Casey O'Neill, man, I mean, I was not him. I mean, yeah, she's got, the, she's got the takedowns, but I mean, she's been fighting nothing but moms, uh, soccer moms, um, kind of like Nadia Kasim's local local level uh, competition. I mean, yeah, she's got the takedowns, but what happens if Dobson's been, I know, I know she's training at team elevation. What happens if she can stuff the takedowns a little better? Cause I definitely think she's got the better hands. Casey O'Neill striking is it, very sketchy to me. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if O'Neill came out here and did get the takedowns, but I have a feeling, I have a weird feeling that Shayna Dobson after that win might be a little more confident in herself maybe a little more comfortable in that cage. I'm not saying I'm high, but I'm actually going to pick Shayna Dobson in this one. I feel like this is a little bit too good to be true. Uh, very easy. I, I mean, look, I understand you got my, less than minus 200 to fade uh, Shayna Dobson, who who sucks, you know? Yeah, but I think this girl sucks too. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Um, like, I was not impressed at all. She fought nothing but moms. These fights are way too easy. Uh, and hasn't been in any tough situations inside the cage. Um, so we'll see. Um, but I'm going to go with Dobson. Little uh, fun fact. So normally I'm not the kind of guy to bring up amateur results just because, you know, pro and amateur are two different things. However, from this specific scene that Casey O'Neill comes from, I mean, the level of competition she fought in amateurs isn't that much better than the level she fought at pros. And the reason I bring that up, Shaq, is because, you know, she got knocked out in the first round twice in amateurs, right? Uh, I'm talking about Casey O'Neill here. She got knocked out in a minute 24 against Hannah Dawson, and she got knocked out in 49 seconds by Sam Egan. So I'm just saying here, just because she, you know, has gone 5-0 and against some scrubs, uh shanna dobson is by far the best fighter she's ever fought and don't get me wrong the time to fade shanna dobson is going to come very soon it might even be this weekend i mean maybe casey o'neill's the next great prospect but guys this is not a yan zone versus kylan curran 
situation. This is not a Wiley Zhang versus, uh, you know, whoever she fought in her UFC debut situation. Uh, Casey O'Neill is not the next, you know, big, big time prospect. Uh, so I think that people are a little bitter. They got burnt playing a minus a thousand on Agapova. So now they want to lay the chalk on this girl. Listen, I won't be surprised if she wins because Shanna Dobson is at a much lower level, but that much more, that much lower level, look at the level of competition she's fought, man. I mean, she's been in there. Look, I know we make fun of Nico Montano, but Nico Montano has accomplished a hundred times more than anybody. Casey O'Neill has fought. I know we like to talk a little shit about Roxanne Modafferi, Roxanne Modafferi is a ranked fighter, Shaq. So Sabina Mazo, now she's someone that people are referring to as like the second coming in the women's division. Priscilla Cachoeira, we know how hard she hits. And Maria Agapova had, was 9-1, had all the hype in the world. The level of competition these two have been fighting is just night and day. So for that reason, I never thought I'd say it. I'm actually going to go with the upset too here, man. Because uh, going into it, I was like, oh, I get to fade Shanna Dobson, but then I watched O'Neill. I was like, uh, I was like Jonah Hill, cut, cut. So yeah, yeah I, I, <laughs> I was the same way. I was like, yikes! This is uh, this reminds me of Nadia Kasim's local fights. And, <laughs> and, and look, look, if Casey O'Neill was fighting Alex Chambers, okay, because anybody's gonna beat Alex Chambers. No disrespect, except Kylan Curran. But here, like Shanna, like. Even in like some of her other performances, like I know she got like a finish via a body shot in the UFC. I know it was against a soccer mom, but like that soccer mom's better than anybody Casey O'Neill's fought. So Shanna Dobson's got the experience. I got a roll with her here, but again, it, it wouldn't surprise me if she lost because I still think, look, she's ranked number 158 in the world. Shanna Dobson is. So I'm not sitting here saying, you know, she's some ranked, she's some top 15 fighter or has the future to go into the rank. I'm not saying any of that shit whatsoever. All I'm saying is she's the more experienced person here, fought the better level of competition. And Casey O'Neill is probably not who people think she is. So I'm going to go Dobson. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a match between Rafael Alves. He's 19 and 9, and Pat Sabatini is 13 and 3. Currently, they got Rafael Alves minus 190. The comeback on Pat Sabatini is plus 150. Listen, man, for two UFC debutants, uh, these guys got some hella experience outside the UFC. I mean, Rafael Alves has been fighting since, what, 2007? I mean, the guys, when you talk about paying your dues, you talk about Rafael Alves and Pat Sabatini has beat some decent competition outside the UFC. He submitted Tony Gravely. Now both guys are making that debut. Pat Sabatini is a very popular underdog this week. Who you got, Shaq? Yeah, this is a this is a very good fight because I'm I'm a little I'm a little not taken back but surprised. Look, I think Rafael Alves. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember he was on Looking for a Fight the same episode they uh, found Herbert Burns on. They didn't sign Rafael Alves because he had nine losses, and Dana White was like, "Damn, dude, why the hell do you have nine losses?" <laughs> and uh, he told him, he told him that he would give him a, a contender series uh, opportunity, and that's what he got, and he got the contract on contender series. So yeah, I know Rafael Alves has nine losses, um, but I really just wasn't that impressed with Pat Sabatini. I just think he has a very basic, you know. Not much. I know he knocked out, uh, viciously knocked out a seven and five guy, but that seven and five guy, 
the ba- the way I see this fight, I think Pat Cipatini is just basically the way I could describe it, the next local guy up that got the call on short notice. I think Rafael Alves, although he has nine losses, I think he is in the best spot that he's ever been in his career. I think right, he's ready to fight real guys right now. I mean, he's the one that got the matchups with Mike Trezano and some of these other guys. I think Rafael Alves is fully developed. He's ready to go right now. I think he's ready to fight real competition right now. I don't think Pat Sabatini is. I think Pat Sabatini is still developing. I, I think that his competition level, although it looks good on paper, if, I feel like if you dive into some of those matchups, I feel like Rafael Alves is the much more tested fighter. He's been in there with... 17 and 2, 18 and 2 type of guys. And and, and just the skill set, honestly, Rafael Alves has much more to offer, in my opinion. The power, the jujitsu, uh, MMA Masters is an up and coming camp. He's training with Covington. I heard Covington uh, has been giving him some advice. Uh, he's, he's got very good guys to train with. His camp is very hungry right now. Pat Sabatini, I, I'm sure he'll be back, but I, I think this is the lesson that he's going to have to take in his UFC debut to come back stronger. I, there was nothing impressive. He just got a basic press style, kicks not much power in his hands other than that knockout. I've seen him dropped and wobbled uh, at times too. I think he's a tough kid, but just nothing that wowed me. I think there was things that wowed me about Rafael Alves, the the power, the way he jumped on some of these guillotines and Titan, the way uh, – his uh, his power, man. I, I see Rafael Alves coming out here, getting the win, and honestly, getting a finish. I don't think the way he looked on Contender Series at 145 against Yair's teammate. Uh, I don't know the dude's name, but he he trains with Yair and at that gym in Chicago. That uh, Flores. Yeah, uh, yeah. But he, what's that dude's name, man? I forget. But uh, Flores. No, I'm talking about the uh, gym. Bilal trains there too. Like, uh, oh, what Chicago fight team? The uh, nah, the uh, oh, Valley man. Flow, yeah, Valley Flow, Valley Flow. So, yeah, he fought a dude from Valley and absolutely dominated him from start to finish, in my opinion. Uh, Pat Sabatini, he'll be back, but I just don't think this is the I think this is a hard, uh, a hard welcome to the UFC for him on Saturday night. I think Rafael Alves is ready to go right now, yeah. Listen, when you talk about paying your dues. You talk about Rafael Alves. This is a guy that started his career in 2007, Shaq, on that Brazilian regional scene. I know people are going to bring up how he's been submitted a bunch of times, but guys, the last time he was submitted was 2015. It's been over a half decade. Um, when you have as many fights as this guy has, you know, almost almost 30 fights, not every fight is going to go your way. Like that's just the bottom line. He's got a massive sample size of fights and with pat sabatini um i definitely respect the level of competition he fought on his regional scene i mean this guy went the distance with robert watley who you know is one of the better guys outside the ufc in that division beat tony gravely in the first round who's currently in the ufc uh you know went to a had a split decision loss against jose mariscal you know who also beat yusuf zalal so he's been in there with some guys but I actually, I, I agree with Shaq. Not actually, I do agree with Shaq. Um, I think that Rafael Alves is the more powerful guy, the more proven guy. And I think right now he's flat out in his prime. I know both guys are the same age, but Alves has been paying his dues for way longer. And I think that now is finally the time when he's going to reap the rewards. I see the calf kicks, the physicality, the jujitsu being a big factor here, Shaq. So I'm going to go with Rafael Alves uh, as well to get it done. Now, also in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Julian Arosa. He's 24 and 8. 
and Nate the Train Landwehr is 14 and 3. Currently, they got it. Nate Landwehr minus 110 and Julian Arosa is minus 110. So, right off the bat, Shaq, I was kind of surprised this fight was a pick 'em. Um, I was kind of expecting Landwehr to be maybe a minus 150 uh, favorite uh, in, in this spot, you know. I respect Julian Arosa a lot. He's a very tough guy, and he brings some physical attributes just in the sense that he's six foot one at featherweight. He's ultra experienced, and he's decent everywhere the fight goes. Um, I really don't have too many bad things to say about Arosa except his durability, and he's been knocked unconscious four times officially, but five times overall because you got to include my boy Artem Lobov knocking him out on tough. Remember when Connor jumped over the fence and ripped his pants <laughs> on a, that version of Connor is the funniest version of Connor ever. You guys got to go back and watch that season of the ultimate fighter. He was just dropping gem after gem. Yeah, I yeah. missed that guy. You know, he actually, back then he said Julian Juicy J. Arosa was a phenomenal fighter. <laughs> He's like, he kicks and he runs. He plays that game. Well, you know, yeah. he does play that game. Well, I like Julian Arosa. Um, it's just that, man, you touch him on the chin and uh, the lights are going out. And with Nate Landwehr, he's a guy that a lot of people are kind of low on. But, man, I have so much respect for Nate Landwehr because he's a guy here from the south. I think he might be from Tennessee. And, you know, he could have just fought on the regional scene here in the south. He, he could have even came to the NFC. He was actually scheduled to fight my jiu-jitsu coach, uh, Guy Curry, uh, <laughs> at one point. The fight fell through. But. Nate Landwehr's a guy, you know, a Southern boy from the USA. He goes to Russia in M1. And initially it's like a situation where, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to set him up. Oh, who's this fucking American? Like, let's get some of our young Russian up-and-coming prospects to come out here and beat this guy. Nate Landwehr ends up not just winning in Russia, but becoming an M1 global champion in Russia to the point where they started accepting him as one of their own. And this is a guy who's got all the personality, you know, he puts on a show. He's a big character. He's walking out with that American flag draped over his shoulders with the sunglasses. You got to love him, but he comes to fight too. He's tough as nails. He, he gets out of bad positions all the time. He's got an iron chin. I know he got knocked down his debut by a knee, but aside from that, the guy's got an iron jaw. And um, I think this is one of those spots where, you know, in that fight against uh, Darren Elkins, I know he gets criticized. It's like, why was Elkins hitting him so much? Guys, Nate Lanner was so unthreatened by Darren Elkins that he was literally, you know, <laughs> he was literally uh, beating up Darren Elkins. Then he'd be like, Dana, like every couple seconds. So he's a madman. He's a wild man. But I think in this fight, he'll feel slightly more threatened just in the sense that, Hey, this is a six foot one featherweight. This is kind of a different look. So I don't expect him to eat as many clean punches here. But that being said, these two, you know, there's two bulls. They're going to lock horns. But I think the more durable man's going to win. And I think that's Nate Landwehr here, man. So I'm going Nate Landwehr. And I do think that there's some value at the pick and price, Shaq. Yeah. I, I definitely think Landwehr can take shots better. I think Arosa's got better offense, uh, striking offense. I think Landwehr is very sloppy. I think uh, his offense, he, it takes him a while to get going. I don't want to say he's a slow starter, but in some of those fights in Russia, he got rocked, but he would stay on the guys and eventually outlast them, end up breaking them in the late rounds. And that could possibly be the case here. Julian Arosa, even though he's tall, honestly, he kind of fights in the phone booth, to be honest. He kind of presses a lot, and 
and, and the Arce fight definitely wasn't a fight at range, and neither was the uh, the Sean Woodson fight. I mean, he was in the he was in the pocket throwing and trading, and he still got dropped in that Sean Woodson fight after that great second round that he had. So that that chin issue, uh, it's not even a chin issue. The dude just fights with his hands down, and he he doesn't have the chin. If he put his hands up, I'm sure he'd have a better success. But yeah. It's a good fight. I, I wasn't in that. I thought Landwehr was a little better uh, in my mind than what, what he came out to be on tape. I think that he's still a good guy, but he is a lot shorter. I definitely lean him, though. I think that he's the tougher guy, the guy that can take shots better. It's just he did get knocked out by a jiu-jitsu guy. Yeah, it was a knee, but even in some of his offense in that fight, very slow, very telegraphed, but maybe he's a slow starter, so... I think that he'll struggle a little bit early. I could, I'd see Juicy J touching him with some jabs, maybe some straight shots or in the early goings. But the longer the fight goes, Julian, those hands drop, and and so does he. So I see Landwehr probably winning. I see Landwehr probably, the, I see probably uh, winning the second and third round and, and getting the decision win. Landwehr takes a lot of damage. I know he was unthreatened by by Darren Elkins. But at the same time, I've never seen Darren Elkins bloody someone up like that uh, standing in a very long time. So we'll see what happens. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got the former WEC champion, Eddie Wyland. He's 24 and 14. And John Castaneda is 17 and 5. Currently, they got John Castaneda minus 120. The comeback on Eddie Wyland is plus 100. So... Eddie Wyland, man, so much respect for the guy. You know, WEC bantamweight champion. He's had a bunch of great fights in the UFC. Nothing but good thing. Firefighter, father. I mean, what 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 bad can you say about Eddie Wyland? You know, as a person, but as a fighter, his footwork's great. His hands are great. But man, he fights with his hands down and his chin up. And he's been doing this for years. And he paid for it against Johnny Eduardo and cashed that plus 750 ticket. He paid for it against Sean O'Malley. And when he pays for it, he pays for it bad, Shaq. Now, I understand this kid, Castaneda, you know, I'm not going to disrespect a 17-5 and five fighter uh, and call him harmless because that would be kind of disrespectful. But you'd have to go all the way back to 2017 against Chris Beal. Remember Chris Beal? To, to find his last knockout win. Now, I'm not saying it can't happen here because – Eddie Wyland wasn't just knocked out his last fight. He was wiped out. He was demolished. He was, that was like one of those, I don't like to throw around the term life changers, but that was one of those, like, it, that was one of those scary knockouts where you don't want to see the guy come back for at least a year or two, maybe ever. He's coming back now. I mean, who am I to tell him differently? But uh, I'm going to go with John Castaneda here. Look, I know that he's not an overwhelming fighter. I know that, you know, he's not going to blow anyone away, but I think he can just slightly be a little more active than Eddie Wineland and just be the more durable guy in the spot. I think Eddie might be a little more gun shy coming off that knockout loss. Look, I think this was a couple of years ago. I think Eddie Wineland smokes this kid, but where they are, I think Castaneda's kind of meeting him at the right at the right spot in his career, I think he can edge a decision. So I'll go with uh, the man known as the sexy Mexi. I'll go with John Castaneda here to get it done. Yeah. This is a good fight because Eddie, he is getting up there. He is on the tail end. But, man, I I, I kind of feel like this guy, John Castaneda, I don't want to compare him 
Like he kind of reminds me of Jerome Rivera, just slightly better, man. <laughs> I, I feel uh, I feel like he struggles to be aggressive. I feel like he's a point fighter, and I feel like Eddie Wineland only loses to a certain level of dudes. And Eddie's Eddie suffered many vicious KO beatings and come back and and knock and knock guys out. He's I mean that's nothing that's nothing new to Eddie. He, I mean he got knocked out against Hen and came back and won some fights. He got knocked out against. Uh, Johnny Eduardo viciously came, jaw broken, came back and won some fights. And he got knocked out against Sean O'Malley. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to come back and win, a, and win some more fights, man. I, I don't think this guy, John Castaneda, is on the level. You need to be Eddie Wineland. He, uh, it's just one of those things where I, I don't like that trade, especially at minus money, you know, where a guy is hesitant and gun shy. And that's the guy's in the, the Combate America scene just because they did bully him. They did go forward. And Castaneda, honestly, probably was better than those guys. But there was just a lack of fire, in my opinion. He, he doesn't, like you said, I don't think this guy has the power to knock Eddie out. We have seen Eddie lose to um, some weasels, you know, like Alejandro Perez in the past. But I don't even think Castaneda's on that level. I know Eddie's old. and I, But I think this is a trap, man. I think that... Uh, I think that this I know it's minus one twenty-five to to fade a dude that just got but bro, imagine what Sean o, man, Sean O'Malley would floor this dude Castaneda and send him into the into the fifth row. Um and I wasn't I know he fought Nathaniel Wood and went all fifteen minutes, but man, I really wasn't impressed uh with either guy in that fight to be honest. Um so man, I, I honestly see Eddie Wyland. Uh, I think he should be the favorite. I think he only loses to uh ranked guys or guys that are you know, relevant. Alejandro Perez was once ranked. Brian Caraway used to be a former top five guy. Um, who else? Uh, who else did he lose to? Sean O'Malley, even though he's not ranked, um, he was ranked at one point. He was number 15 at one point. Um, who else did he lose to? Um, Johnny Eduardo was ranked at one point. I mean, he only loses the guys that are ranked. I don't see. The, I don't think Casaneda has that type of potential. I don't think he is that right now. So I'm going with Eddie Wineland with for a classic vicious knockout win. So you're saying you don't think John Casaneda fights like a like a true Mexican warrior? I mean, his nickname says it. On no offense, I mean, look, I mean, he's he's sexy Mexi. He's a pretty. He fights pretty. He likes to touch and run. I don't think he's. I don't think he's got the recipe to come in here and get dirty with Eddie Wineland to, for, for a victory. I mean, we know the guys that I mentioned have that trait, you know, back in the day. And shout out to Caraway. He's going through some tough times right now. But Caraway beat Aljamain Sterling. Johnny Eduardo, you know, in his prime. Johnny Eduardo used to be a bad boy back in the day. Um, <laughs> who else? Uh, uh, Uriah Faber. I mean, look at the dudes that Eddie loses to, man. Like, you have to be good to beat Eddie. And I don't see John Castaneda uh, being that. Joseph Benavidez. Um, I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Drakkar Close. He's eleven and two, and Luis Violent Bob Ross Pena is eight and three. Currently, they got Drakkar Close minus one seventy-five. The comeback on Luis Pena is plus one fifty. As soon as this fight got matched up, uh, you had some choice words. Uh, you messaged me, uh, so I'll, I'll let you take this one first. Uh, what do you think about this fight between Close and Pena? Yeah, I just think Luis is making a bad move. Look, he—I'm sure maybe he didn't have a choice. Maybe he did, 
but I, I honestly think he did have a choice. Um, but this just speak, but this doesn't surprise me just due to some of his past comments. I mean, I remember when this dude only had like six or seven fights, he was trying to fight dudes like Mark Dia Casey and and uh, <laughs> other things like that. So I already know the dude has a tendency to get ahead of himself, and this. This is just stems because sometimes you give these kids too much popularity off these tough shows and off these, uh, and he kind of was one of them. He had a big following, the 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 whole violent Bob Ross thing, and, and, I, and I still think Luis will have a good future, but this is not the logical step you want to take. You you know, Matt Frivola, yeah, was a split decision, but Matt Frivola isn't a top, you know, it's like, what, top 40, 50, uh, you know, somewhere in that range. Where, where is Matt Frivola ranked in the in the light? 43. Forty-three, and and you know he, I thought he lost that fight just due to the fact that Matt Frivola outworked him, and, and that's a, been a, a, a issue for him in the past. When things get gritty, when things get tough, when back when Mike Trezano was jabbing him in the face uh, in Colorado, he didn't like it. He was shaking his head, and then you go, then you flip that into the Matt Frivola fight, and he landed a, a good knee. But we know my boy Steamroller gets wobbled and damn near every single fight, and. And then we turn that into the uh, he beat Steve Garcia, who took the fight on very short notice, and and Matt Wyman, and and quite frankly, it took him it took him longer than I expected. I mean, I was sitting there front row. I was like, I mean, any day, Luis, like we can <laughs> we can uh, you know Matt Wyman shouldn't be taking this long. But then we go into the Kama Worthy fight. Who's another? Tell me what Kama Worthy is ranked. I'm guessing somewhere in the same range as Rivola, 40, 50 in that range. And Forty six. 46 and he uh and he got finished you know when things got tough when they were trading blows Luis Pena did not like it and he actually got submitted and I don't even know how many submissions Kamaworthy has on his uh career career record but I'm guessing it ain't that many and and now you mean to tell me you're gonna take a fight with Jakar Close and I'm not sitting here and trying to act like Jakar Close is the uh is the best guy in the world but Tell me what your car closest ranked. If I'm guessing in the twenty five, in the top twenty five, uh, the twenty one, twenty one, yeah. So even though he's coming, he only lost to Benil Dariush. Who's look at what he's doing right now. The dude's having spectacular performance after spectacular performance. Then he's and he only lost to David Tamar, who's only got one loss on his record to Charles Oliveira. This is not the step you want to take. I, I think Jakar Close, look, whether it's a. a, a a dominant win. I just don't see him losing this fight. I think he's better wrestler, more power in his hands, more physical. I mean, we've seen what Jakar can do when guys aren't on his level. I mean, he'll push him around. He'll bully him. I know you remember that Lando Venata fight back in the day. I personally, I'm, I know I'm in the minority, but I actually thought he won the Bobby Green fight, but uh, I know a lot of people thought he lost that one. Um, but I just think he's going to be too physical, and I think it's going to be another issue again. I'm sure Luis will pop him with some jabs, but when it gets tough, when it gets rough, and, and they're grinding in that clinch and Jakar stomping on them legs and, and doing the calf kicks, uh, I, I really think he's not going to like it. And I see Jakar kind of just bullying him and, and kind of big brothering him in there. And I think Luis will go back to the drawing board and, and go back to the level that you're supposed to be fighting at, man. You're not supposed to be fighting – a top 25 guy you couldn't even beat two top 50 guys so i'm going with uh with a jacquard close here by 30 27 decision i hope we see some improvements from Pena. i mean he's only 27 years old obviously he's got a lot of physical attributes you know six foot three with a 75 inch reach at lightweight so i'm hoping that we can see some evolution in his game since the last time we saw him fight you know it's been over six months since that time so 
Oh, hopefully he's made some strides. Uh, because if not, Jakar Close is not one of these guys that you want to come in here when you're still kind of figuring out parts of your game and you know you're not quite confident, you're not quite sure. Because Jakar Close, one thing about him, he is a bit of a bully. He's got a good calf kick game, good pressure, just knows how to kind of grind out these wins. And sometimes the fights are a bit too close for my liking, but he always finds a way to pull it out in the end. And that's a quality I definitely respect. And also the level of competition he's been fighting is much higher than uh, than Luis Pena. No disrespect. That's just the facts. I mean, he's coming off a, a good fight with Benil Dariush. I know he got finished, and I know he lost the first round as well. But still, to have that experience against Benny, it's a different experience than anything Luis Pena has ever had. And also to beat guys like Bobby Green, Jacasey. Like he's, he's actually been in there with some people. So I think that we saw a guy in Matt Frivola calf-kicking Luis Pena. Frivola is known for his wrestling. Jakar Close is got some. I mean, he's originally from the MMA lab where they they were one of the first gyms to bring the calf kicks to they, the forefront. They invented the calf kick. <laughs> I mean, you remember uh, when Benson, Benson Henderson uh, dropped Frankie with a calf kick in one of their championship fights? Also Benson. dropped him with, with an up kick, but dropped him with a couple calf kicks too, man. Um, the, the forefathers for that technique, man. That was before they... Uh, um, shit, I forgot what I was going to say. But bottom line is that uh, Drakkar Close is just a little bit too physical for Luis Pena. And don't get me wrong, I think that Pena is going to have his moments. I think that he's going to do some good things down the line. But taking this on a week notice, he's probably got to finish to win this fight. I don't see him doing it. So I'm going uh, Drakkar Close here. All right. Now, next up, hey, Shaq, you still there, bro? I, I, I don't see you. Yeah, one sec. Okay, cool. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Jared Flash Gordon. He's 16 and 4. And Danny Chavez, the Colombian Warrior, is 11 and 3. Currently, they got Danny Chavez minus 150. The comeback on Jared Gordon is plus 120. Uh, listen, I was very impressed with Danny Chavez's UFC debut. I think that he's a very explosive guy. I think he's got nice calf kicks. He comes from a great gym in MMA Masters. And I think he's in his prime right now. He's 33 years old. Uh, I'm very excited about what he does in the future. And with Jared Gordon, I know that, you know, we've made some good money fading him in the past. But, you know, granted, you know, Neto, BJJ, Joaquin Silva, and some of these other guys he's lost to are, are, are serious fighters, man, whether it's, Charles Oliveira, you know, whether it's Carlos Diego Ferreira. So he's been in there with some real dudes. And I do think that in the early going that um, this kid uh, Chavez can present some problems to Jared Gordon for sure. I think he's much faster. I think he's the more athletic guy. I think he hits a lot harder. Here, here's my concern, Shaq. So... Chavez kind of seems to me like one of these guys that he kind of fights at a bit of a slower pace. And if you're not pressuring him, if you kind of just stay on the outside with him, I mean, he's going to absolutely school you. But if Jared Gordon can avoid, you know, taking some of those fight changing blows in that first round, which big if big if Shaq, because we know uh, we know he's been knocked out more than once. But if he can avoid some of these fight-ending blows in the early going, I think that his pressure can actually get 
to Danny Chavez down the stretch. And if he starts mixing in takedowns, look, Chavez looked really damn good defending takedowns against TJ Brown, but I felt like TJ Brown was already badly compromised by that calf kick. And I'll, I'll do credit to uh, Danny Chavez for getting him to that point. But if I think Jared Gordon's a little bit better than TJ Brown, he's more experienced, he's paid his dues. It's just, how's this first round going to go? That's that's the big question for me. So if Jared can kind of avoid taking any, like, you know, fight-changing blows or getting debilitated by that calf kick, I do actually kind of think that in the second and third rounds, his pressure can get to Danny Chavez in this spot. And I know Chavez is a very popular pick here because he looked amazing in his debut. But I, I think that Gordon might be getting a little disrespected. And I'm the first one that wants to fade Jared Gordon, but... I do think that if he can put the pressure on in the second and third rounds and get on top of this guy, I actually think he can win this fight. So I might be way off here. He might get knocked out, but I'm going to go with Jared Gordon to win a a very gritty decision here uh, down the stretch. Yeah, I think either way you look at it, this fight is going to be tough for either side. I think uh, it's lined accurately, give or take, either side. I don't think either side is getting disrespected. In terms of the betting thing, uh, betting side, Chavez, like you said, he's ready to go right now. He's 33 years old. He's ready to jump up in competition. And Gordon, you know, that last fight, I consider that, like I said about Condit, a nice little 15-minute workout. You know, get your get your uh, feet feet comfy back in there. Get get a uh, get loosened back up for this next run at 45s. And that's exactly what he did. He had a nice 15-minute ass open of Chris Fishgold. And Gordon, he actually is better than I thought. He's got some nice methodical pressure. Uh, he does not stop. Even though it's very slow and stiff, I mean, just progressively throughout the 15 minutes, if he hasn't been dropped two or three times, uh, <laughs> it, it will it will start to get to you just because it's a very consistent, slow, uh, methodical pace uh, um, so we'll see what happens. Danny Chavez, like you said, it could be a little bit of recency. Like I said in the past, this could be a little bit of the, the next best thing, uh, spot right here is, you know, Danny Chavez is from the hot camp. He's, he looked really good against TJ Brown, but TJ Brown, honestly, man, yeah, T, I don't know if you've seen some of the stunts TJ Brown's pulled in the past, so that, that, but <laughs> I mean, that's just the honest facts. I mean, he's kind of like a Mackie Patolo character with some of the stunts I've seen him pull in the past. So um, I think that uh, Danny Chavez, that was a, a nice spot. But there was some, some definitely some, the calf kick, the speed early. But one thing I noticed, as he started to get tired, as TJ Brown would pressure him after, I mean, that calf kick game plan, that takes a lot of energy to, 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 to uh, whip those things in and out. And I think as the fight progresses, you could see that he starts to square his stance uh, with his hands down as he's tired. And if he does that against Gordon, you know, Gordon at some point will start to get to him. So I, I see this fight being a tough fight either way, just because you went with Gordon, I'll go with Danny Chavez, the kind of uh, a situation where he, uh, maybe he wins like the first eight minutes of this fight, eight, you know, first half of this fight and, and Gordon wins the, the last half, and it's going to be one of those greasy, greasy, slimy split decision type of calls. That's where I kind of see this fight headed towards. Uh, so, but I'll go with Chavez to eke it out. It's going to be a tough fight. So, in other words, you're saying uh, it's a dog or pass situation. Yeah, I think that Chavez looked good, but we can't sit here and act like he's the uh, second coming of Christ. I mean, T.J. Brown, eh, I mean, just got choked out from with a choke I ain't never even seen before. So, you know, uh, I think that uh, he looked good, but 
But Jared Gordon trains at a good camp. He's uh, he's training at Hard Knocks three. Uh, not Hard Knocks. What what's it called now? Sanford. Uh, Sanford MMA, and he's trained at good camps in the past. He used to train at Rufus Board and Neto BJJ. Honestly, it's sad because Gordon looked good in that fight. I mean, he the, he just got carried away. He's too much of a brawler sometimes. But I think if he can just chill out on that a little bit and just you know pick your shots, he can have some success. And he only lost to Neto. Uh, which he looked good in. Carlos Diego Ferreira, um, who's a top 10 guy. Who else? Um, Charles DuBronx and DuBronx Oliveira, which we already knew he wasn't going to win that fight. I don't know why he took that fight. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess you can't turn a fight with Charles down, but, um, you know, no shame in that at all. So he's definitely seen a lot more stuff in the cage than my boy, uh, the Colombian Warrior. Well, now it's time to break down the main card. Before we do, all our fans watching, thank you very much for being up early with us. Uh, do us a huge favor and give this video a like and a subscribe. We truly appreciate it. It helps out the channel tremendously. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between the former heavyweight champion, Andre Arlovsky. He's 30 and 19. And Tom Aspinall is 9 and 2. Currently, they got... Tom Aspinall minus 250. The comeback on Andre Arlovsky is plus 210. So, Shaq, I know that I got burnt, you know, betting against Arlovsky his last two fights uh, against uh, Philippe Lynch and Tanner Bozer. So, and a lot of people did too. So now a lot of people are jumping on the Arlovsky train in this spot. And I actually think that that's kind of a mistake. I, I think that the time to jump on the Arlovsky train was the last two fights. You know, I just called those wrong. I think I'm calling this one right. Listen, what's uh, been the biggest criticism for Tanner Bozer? You know, all the media members would get on his last nerve asking him about how, hey, man, you think you can drop to 205? Hey, man, you're one of the smaller heavyweights. Hey, like when are you dropping light heavyweight? And Tanner Bozer would always be like, dude, like I'm winning these fights. Like why the fuck would I drop to 205? There's not a single soul on planet Earth that is asking the, the uh, six foot five, 265 pound Tom Aspinall when he's dropping the 205 pounds. With Philippe Lynch, the whole thing was, hey, you know, he won the million dollar uh, championship at PFL. But a lot of hardcore fans were kind of questioning the drug testing in PFL. You know, is it a bit lenient? Is this guy going to look kind of soft uh, in the UFC? What's the transition going to be like? There's not a single soul on planet Earth that is expecting Tom Aspinall to come into this fight looking soft. Now, I understand Aspinall's never seen the third round in a fight. But, I mean, we can't really sit here and hold that against him. I mean, it's not his fault that these guys can't go past the first round with him. And... So I heard someone say, hey, the two times you went past the first round, he lost. It's like, guys, guys, firstly, his last loss, he knocked the guy out, but they called it an illegal elbow. So, I mean, that, do you really consider that a loss in 2016 when he when he Travis uh, Brown, the guy, knocked him out? So people are saying the two times he went past the first round, he lost. To me, it's like, okay, one of them was a Matt Hamill, John Jones situation where Aspinall was – clearly better because people are implying if he goes past the first round he's just gonna gas where it's like that fight where he knocked that guy out with the illegal elbow he wasn't gassing man he just hit him in the back of the head with an illegal blow got dq'd so his only real loss he got heel hooked in 2015 over half a decade ago so to me i'm like i, I think i think tom aspinall is legit look 
I understand the level of competition has been shitty, but look how he's been handling them and look at the physical traits he brings to the table. Six foot five, the 78 inch reach. He's 265 pounds. He's also just a kid. He's only 27. I feel like he's one of the young, bright, up and coming uh, heavyweight prospects. I mean, w- listen, I'm not going to compare him to Cyril Gan in terms of skills, but what I will say is when Cyril Gan fought JDS, he hadn't fought shit up until that point. When Yair Rosenstrike fought Andre Arlovsky, he hadn't fought shit up until that point. So, to me, so what? Like, this is his chance to step up in competition. And after he knocks out Arlovsky in the first round, his very next fight, people are going to say the same thing. Oh, he's never been past the first round. Or every time he's been past the first round, he's lost. Roo, roo, roo. So, uh, yeah, I'm not buying that narrative, man. I don't think that Arlovsky can just make this another slow-paced fight where you know both guys barely throw anything and Arlovsky wins a, a close, controversial split decision. I don't see that happening here. I think there's too much firepower on the Aspinall side. I think his punches come straight down the pipe. I think that he's actually been sparring his boxing with Tyson Fury. I mean, if that's not going to elevate your game, I don't know what will. He's also in there with guys like Grundy and Darren Till at, at Team Calbon. And... I hear he's a, a black belt in jujitsu under a pretty damn legit lineage. So I like Tom Aspinall. I'm staying on the Tom Aspinall train, and I think he knocks out Andre Arlovsky in the first round Saturday night, Shaq. Yeah, this is a, a good fight. Aspinall, like you said, he hasn't fought anybody. Not his fault. I mean, the local scene for heavyweight, the, mar- the heavyweight market on the local scene uh, you know, some it's not very good sometimes. Uh, you know, there's there's only a few uh, there's only a few so many heavyweights out there to fight. So it's not necessarily his fault that he hasn't fought anybody. Um, at least he goes out there and he, he marches the dudes down and he and he uh, knocks them out accordingly. Um, it's tough to say because I mean we can name we can name about you know twenty guys that would go out there and knock these guys out like Jake Collier and. Uh, and uh, and Alan Bodar, you know, Dolce, my boy Dolce Langen Bula knocked that dude out unconscious as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I like what I've seen from Aspinall, but at the same time, it's like, you know, how much stock should I put into him beating these dudes that he's beaten? Yeah, the hand speed looks good, and he's actually not 265, because uh, uh, he, he kind of, there's no way he's 265. He, he's got to be lighter than that. Um, Who, Tommy? Yeah, Aspinall. Uh, okay, let's see. I'll tell you exactly. So um, he weighed in. Okay, you're right. 252 against Badeau. Yeah. And okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so Two, he's honestly. And I and I like that because Arlowski kind of has a speed, uh, a speed advantage uh, over a lot of these big 265 guys. And, and it kind of frustrates them. And, and I, and I kind of disagree on the – well, the Tanner-Boser fight. Boser – his volume definitely wasn't there. Too much waiting. Felipe Lenz threw, but he kind of, like you said, Aspinall throws straight punches, but Felipe Lenz was swinging these big, wide, loopy hooks that just kept missing while Arlowski was just jabbing and weaseling him. So I honestly think Aspinall, with the age gap, that's one good thing going for him. The fact that he hasn't had, you know, some of the – Tanner Bosa is just an average guy. Like, people try to hype him up because he – he beat. He, I know the, the he knocked out Lens and uh, that other dude, but that other dude was a complete can. So it was it was on. I was honestly surprised to see Tanner Bozer line that high. And turns out I was right. I mean, Arlovsky, uh, Arlovsky put out the win. But yeah, I don't know. I think Aspinall's gonna knock him out early. 
Um, I don't have I don't have that necessarily Rosenstrike type of feel, you know. Rosenstrike, uh, I mean, but like you said, Rosenstrike really hadn't fought anybody, but his knockouts were kind of a little more spectacular, in my opinion. They were like nine seconds. Uh, I was there for one of them, right? Yeah, one of them was like real quick with a jab, and the other one against Albini. I mean, that was vicious. Uh, Aspinall, I honestly didn't think he. Leading up to the knockout against Badeau, I thought he kind of looked sloppy, to be honest. So uh, we'll see. But I'll pick Aspinall for the win. I just don't know how much stock I should put in this. I can name about 30 guys that would knock out Alan Badeau. I mean, my boys, middleweights are out here. Like, Dolce and Beulah knocked Alan Badeau out. So it's like, I mean, yeah, he knocked him out. But that's what he should have done. I want to see Tom Aspinall do something. So I'm super excited for his fight this week. I can name 130 people that would be Alan Badeau, but be, the beating the Al, Alan Badeau isn't why I'm picking him here. Um, I think he's got the speed, the size, and uh, the youth, and let's see let's see if he's the real deal or not. I, I can't wait to find out. All I know is this ain't no Tanner Bozer where everyone's asking him, hey, when are you going to 205? And this ain't no Felipe Linz where everyone's like, hey, how, how are you going to make that transition? This is a completely different beast, and he's one of these young heavyweights. So... And he throws his punches straight down the pipe. So let's uh, let's see what happens. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Nasruddin Imavov, the French sniper. He's nine and two. He's taking on Phil Megatron Haas, who's nine and two. Currently, they got Phil Haas minus one thirty. The comeback on Nasruddin Imavov is plus one ten. So the very popular underdog pick this week is Nasruddin Imavov. I have not seen a single soul on Phil Haas. And the reason being is that there's this narrative going around that Phil Haas is first round or bust. Now, guys, I, I think Shaq explained this in the past. I'm going to explain it right now because I really looked, took a look into this and was like, man, his early career was a bit mismanaged. I mean, why was a 3-0 and guy going in there against Andrew Sanchez? Why well, was a... Why was a 4-0 and guy going in there against Lewis Taylor, the PFL million-dollar winner, the guy that knocked out Magomedov? Why was a 4-1 and one guy in there with Julian Marquez? So he's fighting all these guys before he's even had five pro fights. Of course he lost those fights. Now he's had the chance to pay his dues. And, I mean, we're talking about an athletic freak. We're talking about a guy with one-punch knockout power. We're talking about a D1 wrestler. And I think that after that Marquez fight, I think that now he knows how to pace himself better. I think those are the kind of lessons you got to learn. When, when they throw you in there with such experienced guys so early into your career, it's sink or swim. And look at him now. He won his first UFC fight. I know, you know, against uh, I know I know who it was against, but so what? I think that now he's ready to go on a run. And with this kid, Nasruddin Imavov, you know, he, he's a bit of a tough-nosed guy where you start to slow down on Nasruddin Imafov, and, I mean, he will get dirty in there with you. He will tee off on you. So if Phil Haas does blow his load in that first round, you know, then Nasruddin can take over in the second and third. The thing is, man, I think that Phil Haas will learn from his mistakes. I think he's more mature now, and I think that he can win the first round. I think he can win the second and the third. I think he can mix in his wrestling. I think he can stay on top. I mean, look, I respect Jordan Williams a lot. I mean, this is a guy who first-ever diabetic in UFC history. So Jordan Williams, man, you're, you're, you're a hero for a lot of people, but Jordan Williams, a lot of people consider him to be a welterweight. And if he's not a welterweight, he's one of the smaller middleweights. And Jordan Williams was pushing Nasruddin Imavov around in that first round. 
I just think that Phil Haas is too physical, too fast, too explosive, too dynamic, and he's paid his dues, most importantly, Shaq. So I'm going Phil Haas via first-round knockout. Yeah, you know, I'm higher on uh, Phil Haas than most. Uh, I bet him his last fight. I thought he got extremely disrespected against that guy that he fought. Um and Nasruddin, solid guy. You know, this matchup kind of reminds me of one that happened not too long ago. I think someone tweeted it out. It was uh, Puna and, uh, and Dusko. You got Nasruddin, who's the, you know, maybe has quicker, sharper hands, but he fights with his hands completely down. And you got Phil House, who's got the nicer, tighter, you know, defense, uh, at least now, maybe not early in his career, that throws devastating concussive knockout blows. And and yeah, Nasruddin might might you know be better overall, but man, there is going to be a lot of opportunities for Phil Haas to clip him. And I think that uh, Phil Haas, like you said, uh, they pushed the issue with him too much. He was three and zero. He fights Andrew Sanchez, loses. You're supposed to go back to the local scene. Instead, he fights. Uh, he puts himself in that tournament against Luis Taylor, who's got like 16 fights at the time, and and he got. <laughs> I mean. I mean, they tried to push the issue. Then they tried to push the issue again with uh, Julian Marquez, who, you know, has a winning UFC record. And we saw what happened. And then Phil, I mean, he could have packed it in, but he actually moved to Thailand. He went on one of those uh, hiatuses. Then he signed with Brave, you know, knocked out some guys out there, very well traveled. And and I feel like he's a lot more mature and just has more rounds, more training rounds, more more cage time rounds. You can't fight those type of dudes that early in a career. I see it a lot of times on the local scene. These, these dudes try to try to fight, you know, the the number one prospect on the on the scene and there's in their third fight. It's like relax, bro. You know, you got time. You don't have to uh to fight him right now. So yeah, I see Phil Haas and I know Nasser Dean's a popular underdog pick, but I think this is also stemming from a lot of people are under the impression that Phil Halls went running scared or, or something because, you know, this fight got pulled uh, a few weeks ago. You know, and this is the classic rebook mistake, man. I, and I fell for this trap sometimes. You know, you you have a bet on uh, Mama, uh, Nasser Dean the, fir- the first time and, you know, Phil Halls pulls out and you're a little emotional about it because – Phil Hall's pulled out the day of the fight, and then you and you take a worse line and you bet him uh, again. You know, I think the line is down like 30, 40 cents from from last time. So uh, we'll see. But I'm going with Phil Hall's. I think he clips Nasruddin Amamov uh, very early in the first round. I think Nasruddin will be popping him with that jab early, but at some point I see one of them big left hooks overhand rights getting through him and Nasruddin going down. So I'm going with uh, Phil Hall's. Next up in the heavyweight division, we got Alexei the Boa Constrictor Olenek. He's 49 and 14. Excuse me, 59 and 14. He's taking on Chris Dacus, who's 10 and 3. Currently, they got Alex, uh, excuse me, Chris Dacus minus 200. The comeback on Alexei is plus 170. So, Shaq, this is funny because when Chris Dacus first got signed in the UFC, you know, I made the whole joke about. You know, there's the good brother and the shitty brother. And I was under the impression that Kyle Dawkins was the good brother and Chris Dawkins was the shitty brother. Because if you look at some of his regional fights, you know, he was kind of this this fat guy. But, man, he's made a transition. He's made a transformation. He's lost a bunch of weight. His hand speed is ridiculous for the weight class. He's a black belt, too. It actually turns out both the Dawkins brothers are pretty damn good. However, 
Chris Dawkins is the one fighting a ranked opponent first. Chris Dawkins is the one that's undefeated in the UFC. And Chris Dawkins, if he gets a win Saturday night, he will be a ranked heavyweight. So, listen, Alexei Olenek's had so many damn fights. I mean, he's won 45 fights via submission, Shaq. I mean, he takes your back. There's a good chance you're getting uh, strangled, and you already know about my boy's uh, schoolyard headlock that he's hit uh, uh, even on Mirko Krokop back in the day, by the way. So, great fight. I know you've actually been higher on Dacus than many, and you called it from the jump. You think uh, your uh, heavyweight prospect wins the biggest fight of his career? Yeah, I have been impressed with Dacus. It, it kind of did surprise me. Um, I was kind of more on the same thing, saying Dacus was the uh, – was the better little bro until I saw the Parker Porter fight. I was like, God, I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> buddy just got smoked. Like, I was a vicious knockout. Uh, Doc is what separates him from at least uh, these up-and-coming heavyweights. I'm putting him in that group with the Aspinalls, and this fight kind of reminds me uh, of Aspinall's fight. But I, I feel like I have slightly more facts on Chris Dawkins. Um Chris Dawkins, he actually also was submitted back in the day with the uh, – well, I think it was a key lock or something like that, constant similar to Aspinall, took a submission loss. And you can't forget, Arlovsky's got a, a classic uh, heel hook win in the UFC. I know you remember that uh, back yeah, in the Sylvia, day. right? <laughs> I mean, he won the title off that. So uh, I think that, uh, look, Alexi is definitely the better grappler. Like you said, 40-something submission wins. But uh, how many lives does Alexi have left? I mean <laughs> – my goodness. And to be honest, um, I honestly think Alexi's time might have might be running out. Uh, look, Just look at the last stretch. He fought Alistair Overeem, got viciously knocked out. He followed up with a knockout loss against Walt Harris, who, in, in my opinion at the time, was an up-and-comer. Um, then he fought Maurice Green. And Maurice Green, in my opinion, is a jobber. Marie, I mean, uh, look, I know... Uh, Alexi was in mount for a lot of that fight and did his thing with the with the scarf hold and all that good stuff. But I saw John Volante uh, in mount on Maurice Green as well. So uh, Maurice and and just look at the like I, I'm not I'm not surprised Alexi beat that level guy. Maurice Green's a guy that barely beat Jeff Hughes, who barely beat Volante. Uh, I mean Maurice Green is very very shaky. Um, Chris Dawkins is standing out from the competition. I mean, I know Parker Porter and Nascimento might not be that good, but, I mean, he absolutely blew them out of the water in very, very quickly. I mean, those two dudes – and Parker Porter bounced back and won a fight. He's actually fighting uh, Chase Sherman uh, coming up. So, um, And Nascimento was undefeated. And, I mean, Dawkins went out there and made an example out of them. Um and then, you know, he had the win over Maurice Green, beat uh, Verdum. Verdum's a legend of the sport. But, look, I know on his resume he beats Verdum, and I understand a guy that beat Verdum is a, a, a underdog to a guy I've never heard of. Look, I, 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 I understand. But Verdum wasn't ready to fight. Verdum was coming off a two-year steroid suspension, and I, I, he just didn't look like he was ready to fight up until the third round, in my opinion. Uh, I think he just woke up too late. And Alexi, was, he's a liability standing, man. I truly believe that Chris Dawkins only needs about 20 to 30 seconds in space, uh, just a couple of pocket exchanges to get Alexi Olenek out unconscious. I think he's that accurate with his punches. I think that his counters are that sharp. Um I mean, just look at the accuracy of that left hook on Nascimento, 51-second uh, knockout, Parker Porter. Those are three, four-punch combinations in the 
heavyweight division, lighter, faster, sharper, very humble. He's not one of the you know these these cocky uh, cocky dudes that think he's the that think he's the king shit. He's paid his dues. He you know that loss to Anzu, yeah, he's got a loss to Anzu on his record, and yeah, it might not be a good look. But if you actually watch that fight, man, it, it was that's when the, that's when everything changed. I mean, that's when he started dropping the weight. He was whooping up on Anzu. I mean, it was a devastating beating. He just got super tired and he got caught. Um, so yeah, I, I see Chris Dawkins coming out here and doing something similar to to what what Walt Harris did. I know he was on top of Black Beast and it's something he's got to watch out. But I think he makes good decisions in the clinch, man, with the way he maneuvers in there. Like him and Parker Porter were tied up in that clinch, and he was he was cracking them with shots over the top on his head and uh, and and wobbling them. So I'm going with Chris Dawkins by first round starching of Alexio Linick getting into that top ten. Um, I just don't see how Alexi avoids this knockout. I know he's going to try to to grab him, but I, I think Chris Doc is playing about black belt. At least I, I think he's got the skills to avoid this. So I'm going with Chris Dawkins. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing here. It's not like this is black belt versus white belt or striker versus grappler. This isn't a case where, you know, one takedown and the fight will be over shortly after for Olenek. I don't think at least. Um I mean, don't get me wrong. He does have 45 submission wins, and he's got Ezekiel chokes. He, he's got schoolyard headlocks. Uh, he's got he's got the whole bit. I mean, Alexei is such a legend. Uh, I love the guy. But Dacus, stylistically speaking, look, oftentimes when, when it's kind of the newer guy versus the vet and the newer guy is chalk, that, it can get kind of sketchy. But then there's times when it comes through, like Jamal Hill versus uh, OSP. You know, Jamal Hill was only – 2-0, 3-0 in the UFC at the time. He was a minus-175 favorite over a, a former title challenger, and he took care of business. Now, I'm not sitting here saying Chris Dacus is the next Jamal Hill because I have said Jamal Hill is a future top-five guy, but I think Dacus' hand speed, like you already mentioned, is definitely going to give Alexei fits, and I think he's got the wherewithal on the mat to, to either keep the standing or get back up or survive until the round ends. Next round starts up on the feet, so... I'm going. I'm going with the favorite here as well, man. Uh, let's see. I think. I think this is very good matchmaking, by the way. I think they know exactly what they're doing, and this is the yeah, perfect. They're, they're they're hoping that Aspinall and Chris Dawkins come through on Saturday night. Yeah, and you know they're not going to match them up either. If they do win, they're just going to weave out the next. Uh, <laughs> they're going to do like Ben Rothwell and Aspinall. You know what I'm or, saying? Uh, Dawkins first, Dawkins first, JBS. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, who? It's like Aspinall and Dawkins are like trying to get a more impressive performance to say to see who gets JDS next. You know what I mean? Chad? So <laughs> it's gonna be one of those cases. I got Dawkins featured bout in the featherweight division. We got Derek Minner. He's twenty-five and eleven. He's taking on Charles Boston Strong Rosa, who's thirteen and four. Currently, they got Charles Rosa minus two hundred. The comeback on Derek Minner is plus one fifty-eight. So, I mean, we know the deal with Derek Minner. He's going to go balls to the wall for the first three minutes, just like he does every single fight. I mean, Derek Minner has 20 first-round uh, submissions on his record, man. Uh, the guy will dangle off next, and if you're not quite ready in that aspect of the game, he's going to submit you pretty damn quick. Um, I mean, you saw what happened uh, to that kid, TJ Laramie, you know, the most hyped prospect of the TKO scene in Canada under a minute, but you already know how that TKO scene is, Shaq. <laughs> but uh, Charles Rosa is very proven, man. I mean, Charles Rosa is a guy who went to a split decision with Yair Rodriguez. And 
let me the only reason I bring that fight up is because in that fight, he was in a deep triangle choke attempt. He survived that. In the Bryce Mitchell fight, he got taken down right away, was in a locked in arm triangle choke, survived that as well. So I know his submission defense is very, very, very on point. And that's going to need to be the case here because Derek Minner, if he gets into some of those spots that Bryce Mitchell had him in in the first round, especially early, Derek Minner is a finisher. Derek Minner can close the show. Like I said, 20 first round submissions. I mean, and now he's training with James Krause. He's in there with the right people. So a first round finish, even though Rose has never been submitted, is not going to is not going to. Surprise me here, just considering the, the bad spots Rose has been in in the past. It's just that if this goes past the first round, the momentum has to sway towards Rosa's favor. And I don't think it's going to be by a considerable margin. I don't think that Rosa is just going to destroy him in the second and third. I think it's more of a case where Minner can win the first kind of dominantly, and then Rosa can kind of squeak by the second and then maybe get the submission in the third. So if it hits the scorecards, I think 29-28 Rosa – if it's a late finish, I think Rosa. If it's an early finish, Minner. So more paths for Rosa. So I'll, I'll take Rosa here. But I would be, I would be a little hesitant to lay this kind of chalk on a guy like Charles Rosa, Shaq. Yeah, you know, I I, I feel basically the same way. But look, I don't like paying that type of line for a guy like Charles Rosa in in general. But at the same time, I think he's not getting enough credit for how he looked his last fight. I actually thought, yeah. I was surprised that was a split decision. Am I tripping against uh, Aguilar? Uh, I think I it mean, might have been a split decision. No, it was. I, I thought, but I just thought it was a clear win for uh, for Rosa. I was surprised. I thought it was one of his better performances that he, you know, he's had to stay on the feet for the most part for 15 minutes. I know Kevin Aguilar is, is slow, but uh, just coming off of the Bryce Mitchell performance. Uh, I thought it was a good step in the right direction. He had been off for like a very, very long time uh, before that. Only one fight in like three, four years. So I thought that was a, a very good step in the right direction. Look, we know Rosa ain't that good and he hits soft, but, and you know, I call him baby Elias, uh, you know, baby Elias Theodoro, he's similar style, flailing them arms out, flailing them kicks. But one thing I always like about those dudes in certain matchups, they are guaranteed to outwork the other guy. I mean, Derek Minner, like you said, 21st round uh, submission wins. I don't know how many guillotines he's got, a bunch of them. But, you know, a lot of those guillotines came from a, a scene uh, on the Nebraskan scene. You know, the Nebraskan local scene, uh, it ain't the hottest. So I'm not surprised he had uh, 20-something submission wins out there. Um, he's, done, he's also found some tough dudes on, on his uh, – on his resume as well, but he's lost to those dudes for the most part. And like you said, TJ Laramie uh, was the next guy uh, from TKO to to, uh, to slip up. So, I mean, TJ Laramie literally left his neck right there. Derek Minner looked at Krause and, and stuck his tongue out as he got, he was like, wow, he, he literally gave it to me. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Um, so yeah, look, the first three minutes of this fight is gonna be a hold your breath moment. It's gonna be like, Charles, please don't, Please don't get caught. Please don't, you know, watch your neck. But I'm probably, man, if Charles Rosa gets out of this first round guillotine or the, the jujitsu storm that Minner has, I think it's almost a lock that he's going to outwork him in the next two rounds. I mean, one thing about Theodoro and Rosa and these guys is they work, they work, and they work. They will try as hard as they possibly can 
to get that win. Even though it's not hard, a heart attack, <coughs> he will give it his all. And and I, and, and I like uh, and I like that he's a he's a very hard worker. So I'm going with Charles Rosa to to kind of just overwhelm him with kicks in the last two rounds. Now we got to talk about the co-main event and the main event. Before we do, all our fans, do us a favor, give us a like and a subscribe. Thank you very much. Co-main event of the evening, we got Ketlin Vieira. She's eleven and one, and Yana Kunitskaya is thirteen and five. Currently, they got. Ketlin Vieira minus 270. The comeback on Yana Kunitskaya is plus 207. So, Shaq, I know we were historically very high on Ketlin Vieira in the past. You know, cashed a max bet against Yana. Uh, I almost said Yana. <laughs> against Kazingana. Uh, submitted Sarah McMahon in the second round. She's been doing some things. Uh, we've liked her for a long time. Nova and Yao, black belt in jiu-jitsu. And she's a judo black belt, too. Uh, with Yana Kunitskaya... You know, she's very big for the weight class. Um, she's got, you know, she's kind of strong. If she can kind of pin you up against that fence, uh, she can have a lot of success there. Long range for striking ain't too bad either. It's just she can give it, but when it comes time to taking it, and I understand Ketlin's the one that got knocked out in the first round not too long ago, but, for, you know, was she, I don't know if that was an... What's her name got knocked out too? Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that was uh, an anomaly or what the case was, but I kind of don't expect that to happen here. And with Yana, my biggest concern is that she'll be doing well in these fights, and then if she hits the mat, I mean, even in, like, her Invicta fights, man, like that Raquel Paolui fight, like, do you know Raquel Paolui's record check? And all respect to the Hawaiian warrior, but let me, let me tell you this uh, real quick. Raquel Paolui is like six and seven, Shaq. So did she change her name? I don't think her name's Raquel Paolui anymore. It says her name's Raquel Canuto. Maybe, who knows, maybe she got divorced. Maybe someone can let me know in the comments. But when she fought the person formerly named uh, Raquel Paolui, who's six and seven, by the way, I mean, like, dude, like, there was a lot of alarming shit there. And now we're talking about a black belt in jiu-jitsu and judo and Ketlin Vieira. I think it could be close standing, but I think the big difference is when Ketlin Vieira hits her with one of those trips, she's got some very beautiful trips, by the way. When she gets on top of her, I mean, she can control it if she wants. She can play it safe, but if she wants to pass the guard and show off her Andre Pettinera's black belt, she, she's more than capable of doing so as well. So I'm going with Ketlin Vieira to win this five bottom line, either decision or submission. Yeah, I think uh, Kevin Vieira is the, the better fighter all across the board in terms of the power. Uh, I just think the Arena fight, it was a case of Arena. Look, eventually she was going to get rewarded for her hard work, and it was just the perfect spot. One side's off for two and a half years. Uh, the other side has fought literally maybe like four or five times in that span. So, you know, uh, she was definitely a lot more comfortable. And I don't think it was a bad performance at all. I think it was a good round. Kevin was up slightly, and... I mean, look, it happens to the best of them. Uh, you gotta take, you gotta take a L at some point. Look, Kunitskaya. Only thing I like about her, I think she's a good point, a, a good pointer. I think she's a good scorer. Um, you know, she can add up the points very nicely. But uh, I just don't think she's very dangerous. I think to beat Kellen Vieira, you're gonna need to to have something. And and I just see Kellen landing the harder shots. Uh, bullying her against that fence. And I think that last fight was a nice little tune-up fight for her to get her confidence back. And we can't forget my boy Pettineris had COVID. He couldn't even make the trip. So she ha actually had to be down there 
uh, by herself and just have uh, somebody corner her from Brazil that, that was on the card. Uh, I forget who it was, but uh, so I think that she's going to feel a lot more comfortable. And, you know, my boy Andre, when my boy Andre pours that water in her pants and, and tells her that she needs to get right, you know that she will. And, and uh, I mean, look at uh, what was her, what's her teammate's name that just beat McCann. She looked good. Uh, Procopio. Procopio. Yeah, you know, them, them uh, Novo Nyao black belt, judo black belts, man, when they get on top, they're, uh, they're no slouch. But I think Ketlin's just a better fighter all across the board. Uh, and I just see her winning a decision. Uh, I think Kunitskaya will make it the distance. But I, what I don't like about Kunitskaya is her chin. I think that in some of these uh, pocket exchanges, man, she she closes her eyes. She doesn't like to get hit. Aspen Ladd, look, Aspen Ladd ain't known for her stand-up, Daniel. Uh, and Aspen Ladd uh, dropped her <laughs> dropped her with a punch and knocked her out. Uh, so, and, and the you can't forget about the Mariner No fight where half her face was covered in blood as well. And and uh, I, I still thought she won that fight, but I'm going with Kellen Vieira. I think she's going to show everyone why she was a uh, once a top contender. Main event in the evening in the heavyweight division, we got Curtis Razor Blades. He's 14 and two, and Derek the Black Beast Lewis is 24 and seven. Currently, they got. Curtis Blades minus 400. The comeback on Derek Lewis is plus 300. So, Shaq, we got the man with the most takedowns in UFC heavyweight history at 58. And he also holds the record for most takedowns in a single fight in heavyweight history with 14 against Volkov. Taking on the man with the most knockouts in heavyweight history in the Black Beast, Derek Lewis, with 11. So we know exactly what both these guys want to do. Listen, I'm a huge fan of Derek Lewis. I love the guy. I mean, how can you not? Most knockouts in heavyweight history. So exciting. And and I love his sense of humor as well, talking about how he's a better wrestler than Blades. That shit had me dying laughing, man. He is one funny dude. And just all the shit he said throughout the years. Um, with Blades, uh, listen, he might be the most boring guy in the heavyweight division, but boy, can he win some fights, Shaq. And, uh, and, he, and one thing I really respect about him, especially from a betting and DraftKings perspective, is that He's not going to not fight to his strengths, man. He's going to come out here and take Derek Lewis down. It's just that Derek Lewis, his get-up game has been getting better, and when he gets off on that Black Beast blitz, bodies tend to hit the floor, so Curtis has to be very careful. I think Curtis is going to get a lot of takedowns here. It's just when if, if Lewis can get back up, that's where he's got to be careful. But ultimately, it pains me to say it, but I, not because I got something against Blaze, just because I love Lewis so much. Um, I got to go with Curtis Blades here, man, via grinding this one out, whether it's a decision, whether it's a ground and pound TKO. Just stylistically, this is a horrendous matchup for Derek Lewis with that 52% takedown defense. I know the getup game is improving, and I also know this is a man in Derek Lewis who beat Nganu, boring fight, but beat Nganu, uh, has beat a lot of people, beat Alexander Volkov by knockout. Um, so. Legend, love the guy, but I got to go with Curtis Blades here to to grind this one out, Shaq. Yeah, it's one of these cases where I think a lot of most people would be cheering for Derek, but, you know, I think we know how this is going to turn out. Curtis ain't going to give him that chance. He's just going to come out here and dive on the legs real quick, and I don't blame the guy. Get your, get your, get two checks, go home with a good chin. Uh, you know, uh, you don't want to go home with your face covered in, in, uh, in blood and Eyes swelled up, and look, Derek Lewis has that 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 habit of getting guys to use all their energy on top of him. And this is a five round fight, so you know there is going to be moments where Derek gets off on that on that uh, on that patented black beast blitz. Um, it's just Curtis Blades can chain those takedowns. Even when he got tired against Alexander, he still was able to 
to uh, to muster up the energy for another takedown, and he was dead tired in that fight. And so I see the more of the same thing. I know Derek Lewis claims to be the the best blue belt in in all of Texas. He's mm-hmm. actually training with uh with uh, Lauren Murphy's husband, who's actually like a like a serious jujitsu uh a serious jujitsu guy. Um, so they have definitely gotten his game up up uh to and I and I even if he loses this fight, man, he can always come back and and still be a part of the top 10 in this division, maybe even higher than that. So, yeah, Curtis Blades will probably get the decision win or maybe even a, a late submission, late uh, ground and pound stoppage. But uh, I see Curtis Blades definitely winning this fight. So normally we talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, but we actually got to get out of here. So thank you very much to all our fans for checking this out. Uh, we truly appreciate y'all waking up bright and early with us. means a lot. Please give us a like and a subscribe. It truly means a lot. Uh, you can follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. You can follow me at Best Fight Picks. You can get our plays at bestfightpicks.com. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. Hit up our sponsor, Manscaped, at manscaped.com. Use that promo code BATTLE20 for 20% off and free shipping. Again, best five picks. Subscribe to Half the Battle. Oh, yeah, and also I've been doing uh, some written work for Line Movement, so make sure you check them out too. Thank you very much to all our fans. We truly appreciate it. We'll be back next week for the next card. So until the next time, let's cash these bets. <laughs>